Amen. Hey, once again, we're in our study. That's right. The book of James. What's the tagline there? That's right, Deborah. How to spot a phony Christian. Jim, you almost, but she beat you to it. So a little quicker next time. All right. And uh, what would he what you mean? Spot a phony Christian in the church? Yeah. As we've been seeing in our study, unfortunately, this is not a, uh, a, a, a rare occurrence. This is happening in the church all over the place. In fact, these fakers are mentioned, we saw all over the Bible, okay? And uh, the good news we've been seeing is God didn't just tell us that this is going to be an unfortunate reality, and you need to be on the lookout for that, phonies in your midst. He tells us how to spot them so that we can deal with them, so we'll stay pure as a church, right? And the reason why is because Satan's got an evil plan, and it's leading towards the apostasy. I'm convinced the fact that the church refuses to take the word of God serious and even deal with this category of people who profess to know Christ, but they don't belong to Christ, right? And now they've allowed those people to go from the pews to behind the pulpit running the church. This is why we're in the apostasy. I'm convinced of this scripturally, okay? But, uh, but let's be those Bereans today, and let's continue in that journey, the book of James, how to spot a phony Christian, right? Open your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, let's take a look at that. And, uh, of course, James was written by James, James you biblical scholars. Who needs a seminary? You guys are already there. That's right. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Once again, read in the context, and then we're going to hone in again on verse 2 and 3, and once again, I'll explain why we're camping on those two verses uh, for, for weeks, right? But James chapter 1, as we stand and read God's holy word, says this. James a what? Servant of God. And of who? The Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes, the early church at this time, scattered where? Among the nations. Greetings. And what's the first thing he says after he introduces himself, identifies his audience, he says this, consider it pure what? Joy, my brothers, whenever life goes your way. Oh, I'm sorry. Whenever you face trials of what? Poikilos, many kinds. Why? Because you know experientially that the testing of your faith develops what? Perseverance. And listen, here's the payoff. Perseverance must finish its work so that you what? You may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. How many guys would like to be a Christian that's mature, complete, not like anything. Raise your hand. Okay, turn to somebody and say, bring on the trials. Because right, that's what James is saying is one of the good things. You may be seated as you can. But we've been seeing historically in our context here, James, believe it or not, even though it doesn't appear that way in the Bible, James is the first chronological book written in the New Testament, right? And right out of the gates, he gives the early church that's finally been dispersed. It says to the 12 tribes, the early church scattered among the nations. They finally went out in the world like Jesus told them to. Right, And so here comes the first New Testament book to the early church who's finally out there, supposed to be a positive witness for Jesus, and James is all about what? How to spot phony Christians. And you're like, well, why would he do that? Because he throws out these acid tests, who's real, who's not, because Satan's got an evil plan. Again, we saw that Satan couldn't keep Jesus from going to the cross. Okay, He couldn't keep him from rising again from the grave. He couldn't stop the birth of the church, and he can't take away your salvation. Amen? So what's he been doing for the last 2,000 years? This is what we read in the scripture. He's been flooding, not the world, he's been flooding the church with what? False apostles, false teachers, false prophets, and what Paul even said, he was in danger of false brothers. What's that? Fake Christians. They're all over the place. And why would Satan do that? Because he knows he's lost, his gig is up, he's headed straight for the lake of fire, right? But he's so stinking evil, he's trying to flood the church with so many fakers so that when the lost come into our midst, they'll get a false gospel, a false impression of Jesus and Christianity, and they'll never get saved, and they'll join Satan in the lake of fire. So here we go, right out of the gates, chronologically, James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, staves off that plan, that evil satanic plan, and he throws out some acid tests, okay? And the first acid test we've seen is the issue of trials. How do you handle trials, okay, is what he talks about here, okay? And, and, and it's not just going through trials, because even the lost make it through trials, right? So how, why is that an acid test? Well, what do you say? Consider pure joy. Do you make it through your trials with joy? Well, how's that an acid test for a true Christian? Well, number one, Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him, and we're supposed to be followers of Christ. Number two, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy. It's supernatural. It means it's not natural. It's not natural to be happy when you're going through hard times, but that's why it's called supernatural. It's a supernatural work of the Spirit of God. He gives you that supernatural ability in the midst of it. As we saw, it's common sense. If you're a true born-again Christian, what happens at the moment you're saved? Bang, instantly you're indwelt with what? The Holy Spirit of God. You're sealed for your day of redemption, guaranteeing you're getting to heaven, amen? 
but the Holy Spirit begins to what? Produce his fruit. So if you're a true born again Christian, you have the capability through the fruit of the Holy Spirit indwelling you as a genuine Christian to have joy. So that's why he throws this out there. It ain't just making it through trials. Do you have joy, which is a fruit of the Spirit? And that's why you got to ask yourself, if you never have joy and you never have joy in your trials and you profess to be a Christian, you only got one of two possibilities. Number one, you're either a backsliding Christian or a baby Christian and you need to grow up. As Paul says in Galatians 5, you need to learn to walk and live and keep in step with the Spirit and he'll begin to produce that fruit through you, including joy. Or the reason why, you're not saved. You don't have the ability to have that joy because you don't have the Spirit of God in you giving you that joy. And Paul says, Romans chapter 8, he says, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you what? You don't belong to Christ. Because if you're a true born again Christian, you're indwelled with the Holy Spirit instantly at salvation. Okay? So that's why he throws that out there. Okay? Now, because we live in the apostasy, because I'm convinced a lot of these fakers are now in the church, because the church is not holding the line, they're not taking serious the Bible, certainly the book of James that tells you fakers are going to be there, you need to learn how to spot them and deal with them. Okay, now they're running the church. And what they're doing is they're saying that what? Not just all kinds of false teaching, but specifically the exact opposite of what James is saying here. James is saying you can have pure joy in the midst of your trials. Isn't that awesome? That you can be, learn to persevere, right? And then be a complete mature Christian. These fakers are saying what? No, come to Jesus and you won't have trials. You could have a, a perfect health, perfect wealth. In fact, if you do have a problem, it's because you got a secret sin or you don't have enough faith or you need to sow a seed to my ministry. You liars. And because the church is flooded with that, here you come and we're just quoting scripture, right? You just, pure joy, trials. They're like, what? I've never heard that in my life. Because you're being lied to. This is not heaven, heaven comes later, right? And so because people are being lied to in this day of apostasy, we're camping on this for a little bit to drill it in our heads. Yes, you really can have joy if you're a born again Christian in the midst of your trials and you're gonna experience trials. Stop listening to these hucksters who are ripping you off of your cash, saying that you're going to have a perfect life, no trials, that's a lie from the pit of hell. And again, James tells us some of the good things, right? And he calls the first one out was perseverance. And he says their perseverance, the payoff of that, it's hupomeno in the Greek. It means to bear up under pressure over time. So it takes time. And you're under pressure. It doesn't necessarily go away right away. But over time, you get this perseverance. And we're going to see today, Paul builds on that. But James says, Listen, that perseverance makes you what? It makes you a complete, mature Christian, not lacking anything. In other words, it doesn't matter what the world throws you. You're not quitting. You're not giving up. You're steady, Eddie, for Jesus Christ. Nothing can shake you off your walk with Christ, and it's going to be awesome. That's just one positive thing. But what do we see there? James says God's going to give you poikilos. Isn't that just the coolest word? How many guys are sick of poikilos? I thank you for your honesty. But you know what? We ain't done yet. We got a lot of pokey loss to go, so just deal with it. That's right. No, but, but pokey loss, many. What's he say? God will send you pure joy. It, what? Many pokey loss trials. That means you're going to have various sizes of trials. That's what it means. Various shapes, various colors. You're going to go through trials that work for you because God knows what he's doing, custom tailored just to work for you. Uh, and, then, and then I'm going to have one. But they're all different kinds and shapes and sizes. And the good news is God gives you various pokey loss trials to what? to do various good things. James just says one, perseverance, but that's the tip of the iceberg. And James says, when you consider, which means to think forward to the good things that God has prepared in the midst of all these trials, okay? And then not only you think forward, but he says there that you know absolutely, experientially, God took me through this one and that one and this one and I'm going through this one and then he's gonna do it to this. He doesn't just stop. He's faithful. And when you know that, you always come out on top. Isn't that awesome? Okay, and that's why we've been camping on this to drill in our heads. Yes, God is in control. Yes, he fulfills his word. He works all things together for good, even your trials. Yes, you can have joy by the power of the Holy Spirit, even in the midst of them. Okay, and not just perseverance. We saw it was to expose our sin nature, to keep us from becoming spiritually lazy, to cause us to be a blessing to others, to teach us that God is God, that we are not, to make us more like Jesus, to keep us from wasting our lives. And last time, if you were here, it was to make us more humble, how many guys left here laughing your guts out at my pain at that Nephilim Genesis 6 chocolate chip cookie? Yeah, at least you're honest. But I'm not bitter about it. No, but he said, what? To make you more humble. God allows certain things there. To make us more joyful, right? And to make us more loving in our unloving world, okay? But again, <clears throat> poiky loss. Yeah. 
poikilos, right there. Poikilos means poikilos, and we got more to go. That's right. The tenth one is this, to produce a powerful testimony. And see, you can't just say testimony. You got to say testimonia, right? Because that's when you really know you're preaching, right? The Bible, uh, Jesus, uh, the Word of God, uh, right? It's a testimony, right? Yeah, whatever. Obviously, I didn't go to seminary, but no, I know it's a kid. Uh, no, but test- we love testimonies, right? You always hear somebody going through some hardship, some whatever thing. You guys were laughing your guts out at me going through my chocolate chip thing, whatever, but hopefully it encourages you during the week, right? Okay, but see, the problem is we love hearing them, but we don't want to become one. Turn to someone and say, get in line, because your turn's coming, right? And this is the amazing truth. It doesn't matter. Listen, even the rotten, God doesn't condone it, but he's so powerful. Even the rotten things that people on purpose mean to hurt you, God will turn around for good. See, I didn't say that. He did. And this is the account of Joseph, right? How many times do we read this, right? Genesis 50, 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if uh, Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did him? So stop right there. What's going on in the context, right? If you know the, uh, the account, Joseph's brother, right? Uh, they didn't like their brother. They were jealous of their brother. And part of it was uh, Joseph had to be humbled. Now, mine was a Nephilim cookie. His was some other things, right? And so he, he had to you know, learn to be humble with that. Okay, but his brothers, they were jealous of him. There was some favoritism going on there. He had this coat of many colors, right, and all that stuff. And so what his brothers do, this really happened. This isn't just a story. This really happened to this guy. We're going to see him in heaven. They threw him in a well, right? They wanted to kill him. One of the brothers finally talked him out of that. And, but there were, his own family was trying to kill him. This really happened. And then the one brother talked him out of it. And then they was, sold him into slavery, right? And then he still wasn't done. He finally gets uh, to an, another place, and then, and then he rises, he's faithful, serving God, and God honors that, and then he gets accused of rape falsely. So then he goes to jail. He's still serving God. He's ended up in jail. What's going on with that, right? And then not only that, then he gets to their jail, and the two guys he helped out, they says, hey, when we get out of here, we'll put in a good word for you. They didn't say nothing. And then finally rises to this position here, okay? But that's what we see here in the context here. Now his brothers show up after all these years. And here's what they're doing. They're freaking out. When Joseph's brother saw their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. Uh, 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 This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Uh, He's almost like reading a script, right? They they hashed it out. Uh, And and, and now please forgive the sins of of the servants of, of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph what? Wept. You guys are still playing games. Can you believe this? But watch what he says. His brothers then came. They're freaking out. They threw themselves down before him. We're your slaves. And Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in place of God? Watch this. You intended it to what? Harm me. There's things you're going to go through in life. God never condones it. God never condones sin. And the people really do intend to harm you with it. But here's what's so amazing. God trumps it. Every single time, if you're his child. You intended it for harm, but God what? Intended it for good. Why? To accomplish what is now being done. Listen, the saving of many lives. It wasn't just for Joseph. It was for a higher purpose for a whole bunch of people, right? And that's why he says, so then don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. Anybody ever have family problems? Yeah. One guy says, you know, families are, you know, like a crop of nuts. You know, I don't know. It's like last week. Let's do that again. All right, think of three of your family members. Just think of them. Just think right now, okay? Now, if they're not nutty, then you're the nut. (laughs) And you're somebody else's nut. You think you're okay, but I'm somebody's nut. Believe you me, my family, several think I'm nutty. All right, my wife and kids do too. But anyway, we won't go there. All right, but family, you got family problems? We all have family problems. But can you imagine that? His family literally tried to kill him, then lied to their dad, sold him into slavery. He goes through all his hard times, and he still comes back, and he teaches us one of the most powerful lessons in life. Listen, God is God. He's the one in control, not people, not your circumstances, and God will use even, listen, the pain that other people cause us and turn it around to something fantastic. Isn't that awesome? That's why I keep saying the phrase, I call God the ultimate recycler. He takes all of our problems, all of our pains, and he and does something fantastic. I don't know how people without Christ do it today. I don't even know how I survived 25 years. I almost didn't. 
I almost died and went straight to hell. But can you imagine in the world that we live in today and trying to do it on your own? And then God says, you're going to have challenges. This is not heaven. Heaven comes later. But here's the good news. You can still be joyful because God will even take this rotten stuff that people on purpose are trying to get you on purpose to hurt you. And he's going to do something fantastic. This is, I'm just quoting scripture. Now, here's the whole point. He tells us that God will use the pain that other people cause us to turn around for good, okay? He testifies to this truth and it's been written in the Bible for all these years and it's become a what? It's become a powerful testimony. How many times when you guys have gone through a hard word, you go to this passage? Or how many times when you've been reading through the Bible and you come across this passage and you're going like, wow, now that's a word I need to hear. Have you ever been blessed by Joseph's testimony? Praise God, all none of you. And this is why we're starting the internship program, so you can start studying them up. Are you serious? You've never been encouraged by that? Man, I've read that over and over again. I'm going, wow, because here's the good news. God will not just do that for Joseph. He'll do it for you and I today. But here's our problem. Testimonies, we love testimonies. Oh, man, that's great. Share it again, brother, how you made it through that hard time. Your car was getting ready to blow up, Right? You almost pulled into KFC, but somebody wretched you from that horrible direction of life you were headed for at the last minute saved you, right? Your sister so-and-so, right? Your house caught on fire and all this stuff and whatever, and then God provided and did all this, and we're going, just say it again. That's so incredible. We love testimonies. We just don't want to become one. What's the Bible say? God does not play favorites. So if brother and sister and so-and-so got to be a testimony to encourage not just them, but the rest of us, Guess what? Get in line. How many guys right now, God's doing something and he's producing a testimony in it? Or you just made it through and you get it and you see it and it's it's a powerful testimony of his provision, protection, whatever, right? Right? Those of you who didn't raise your hand, it's coming. (laughs) It's the way it works, man. All right? It isn't just with Joseph, it's with us today. But see, we resist that. And as we know, testimonies are awesome. They're not just for us, they're what? For the saving of many lives, to encourage people, right? So guess what? You're going to have to take it. So God will still, because he loves us, he'll still keep the trials coming anyway, even if we try to resist it, so that hopefully we can either learn quickly, you can either pout because of your pain, you can throw a big pity part of your pain, or be patient and watch what he does. He will produce a powerful testimony, and you're going like, man, only God can do that. And then it's so cool, you just have to share it. And then it blesses other people. In fact, um, since we have a hard time believing this, let me just share with you a few testimonies from this life. And uh, it started right when I got saved. Because we all know when you get saved, you, there's never any resistance. Everybody loves you. Life goes... <laughs> yeah, that's what those lying huckster fakers apostate churches are saying today. That's not what the Bible says. But this is right after I got saved. And I'm not out there living the life I used to live, involved in the occult, immorality, going to the bars and doing all kinds of rotten stuff. I'm serving Jesus Christ. In fact, I'm in Bible college. Eight weeks after I got saved from no church background, basically, I'm in Bible college. I'm doing the right thing. I'm following God. But at that point in time, uh, I only had $80 a month to live on. After paying tuition uh, and all the bills were paid, rent was paid, I had 80 bucks. Oh, by the way, that 80 bucks per month, not a week, per month, was to pay for gas, clothing, entertainment, and emergencies and food. Praise God, the car never broke down during that time. Uh, There is no such thing as entertainment at that time. Uh, And uh, certainly did not uh, have clothes. In fact, you can ask my wife. I had two outfits that time left over from my tech days, right? I don't know what I was thinking, but uh, she says, you look like a Mormon, right? (laughs) Because all I had, man, was just two pair of slacks and a white shirt and two solid ties. And I was confident because solid goes with anything on white. I was hip, right? Because we had a dress code, but that's it. But that's all I had. That's all, and that's all I kept wearing for a long time because that's all I had. So here it is. I'm brand new. I'm serving God. I got 80 bucks a month to live on. And so all I'm down to gas and food. The other stuff wasn't happening. And uh, I needed gas. So guess what I didn't have money for? Food. And I'm serving God. He said, oh, hey, how come God, I'm doing it? How come you do it? He was producing a testimony. And he also provided for me. He's faithful. What did Jesus say? Matthew 6. Don't worry about your life. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Right? I'll get you something besides Mormon outfit in a little while. I'm just paying. <laughs> right? You just what? 
He didn't say stare at the wall and hope it's going to work out. No, he gives you marching order. You seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And listen to how he provided. This is the first three months there until, this is crazy, out of the blue, in the middle of the year. Usually you got to wait for a whole year cycle. In the middle of the year, my, my job gives me like a $2 an hour raise out of the blue. It's like, so until that time, during this time, I had no food, and I just prayed. I was just seeking his kingdom first and just doing what he called me to do and praying and studying the scripture, going to Bible college at night, working full-time during the day. And, uh, and I kid you not, all of a sudden, I started having food coming out of my ears. And I wasn't walking around, you know, walking into my workplace, oh, I'm starving. Oh, you know, I go to my family's house, oh, I haven't eaten in three days. You know, like the Pharisees that Jesus warns about, they put, they, when they want everybody to know how spiritual they're, and they were fasting, they put ashes on their face. Oh, look at that. Oh, it's so godly. And then when they would pray, they would what? They'd pray in front of everybody. Oh, Lord, thy, thou, thee, thy, thou, thou. Make a big show. I wouldn't do none of that stuff. Just praying between me and God. And it was the coolest thing. I'll never forget after this experience, I'm reading through the Old Testament and it talks about how God fed Elijah with ravens. I'm going, hey, that's what happened. Now, it wasn't birds that brought it. It was people. I had food coming out of my ears. I'm just praying. I, I kid you not. I had people invite me over out of the blue, and I'm not asking for it. It's just bang, bang, bang. I never went hungry. In fact, the cool thing was, during that time, I was working at this warehouse, going to school at night, and um, uh, the, you know, it's a warehouse, so they truck this stuff all over the United States. So trucking uh, companies are always vying for business, right? So the reps are coming in. And they always come in to try to curry your favor. So they're bringing these huge, massive, manly Genesis 6 pizzas, tons of them, right? And normally everybody would eat them up and be you know, dispersed amongst the, the company there. Well, at, the, at this time, these guys are still bringing their Genesis 6 pizzas, right? Uh, I should have learned my lesson back now. But, anyway, uh, but listen, all of a sudden, the whole workplace, except for me, decides to get on a health food kick. So guess who got all those pizzas, baby? I had pizza coming out of my ears. Top-notch pizza, right? Not little squeezers or all that other one that's made from pure cardboard. I mean, this was good stuff. I had pizza coming out of my ear. People were inviting me over. Oh, and by the way, for those of you who don't think pizza, pizza, it's, it's all four food groups in one. Do you realize that? You got your bread. You got your meat. You put like uh, onions or something. That's a vegetable. And tomato is a fruit. So it was a healthy diet for me, right? But anyway, my point is I had food coming out of my ears. And I'll never forget, then I get this raise. I, and again, I wasn't telling anybody. It was really exciting because every day was an adventure. I was like, where's it going to come from? It was exciting. I didn't know where. I wasn't worried. I was just seeking first his kingdom, his righteousness. And sure enough, he's true to his word. All these things will be added unto you. And frankly, honestly, I, was, I felt... I had a moment of hesitation that first time I went to the store when I could start to afford food. I almost didn't want to do it. And then here's the, here's the wild thing. When I did get to the store, when God had brought my finances up, the raven went away. <laughs> I mean, it was exactly perfectly timed when I needed for that season. Now, here's my point. I share that because guess what? That is a testimony. God really, this did it for, it wasn't just Joseph, it was me. And God, listen, that testimony today, I'd say, is a powerful testimony for those who are concerned about their provisions today, right? So that's a good thing. Now, let me give you another one. One time, and I'm, again, I'm serving God. I'm not doing something wrong, sinful, whatever. I'm in Bible college. Been there for a while. And, and uh, I had at this time a car whose driver's side window would never work right. If you rolled it down... It never went back up straight. It was always uh, messed up, crooked. And then when you made that mistake of rolling it down, then you had to disassemble the whole thing and you had to reassemble it. So, uh, hold on. Let me explain for the young crumb snatchers here. There used to be a time when they had these window devices that you actually had to do this. Watch this. You had to roll it down, right? Nowadays, it's, what do you mean roll down a window? What are you talking about there? So, but anyway, so I had to roll down the window. All right, but anyway, so the point is, obviously, I left it up even in the summer because there's no way I got to disassemble the whole. So that car was like a human sauna on four wheels, man. That's probably why I was so skinny back then. But anyway, so, but that's, that's the car that I drove to Bible college. Well, yeah, I kid you not, at night at Bible college, because I went to school at night, and uh, they had the windows open in the second story where we had our class that night, and because uh, it was summertime. And then all of a sudden, about middle of lecture time, I heard, 
there going, whoa, somebody's really getting on it, man, cool. That was my car being ripped off, <laughs> right? And uh, so anyway, so I'm sitting, at first I'm going like, God, I'm serving you. What's going on? What? I, what, what? And I kid you not, watch this. Uh, so it, uh, for three weeks, I heard nothing. Uh, the police were saying, give it up. It's probably stripped and down for parts in Mexico by this time. This was in California. Uh, 20 days later, all of a sudden, out of the blue, I was told they found the car. They found the car. And watch this. The person, apparently, who stole the car, it was summertime. You know what they did? They rolled down that window. God thought ahead, right? Rolled down that window, and it just, I don't know, freaked him out. I thought, okay, this is a piece of junk. And they literally just parked it outside of an apartment complex, and it stayed there the whole time. Nobody messed with it, nothing. So, of course, I turned, they took out, the one thing they did take was my stereo and, and things. So I turned all that into the insurance company. And then the cool thing was, uh, uh, when all was said and done, uh, they compensated me for some things that were in there. But when I got the car back, those items were still in there, except for the stereo. So I called the insurance company. I says, hey, some of these items that you compensated me for are still in the car. What do you want me to do? Keep the money from an insurance company. I was honest. And they told me, just keep it. And so when all was said and done, I only got my car back with no scratch on it. I got a better stereo and I'm up 200 bucks. <laughs> right? Now, again, I, I, I don't know about you, but that's a real life testimony. I went through that and I don't know about you, but I would say that's a, that's a powerful testimony for people who are experiencing a sudden calamity today. Right? Oh, oh, let me give you a couple more because apparently my wife and I are testimony-holics. <laughs> One night, this was my first senior pastorate, right? And I remember driving up there. Man, what a reality that was. Uh, for seven years, I worked full-time, going to school at night. And, uh, and we had two incomes. But we both quit our jobs. I take this first uh, uh, senior pastor in Northern California. And, and I'm looking on paper, and I'm going like, uh, how is this? How are we going to live? It just didn't, math did not add up. But God had called us, so we were there. I kid you not, I'm driving down uh, the road, and her uh, grandfather's, we borrowed his truck for moving, it's like this 1980 overheating Chevy pickup truck, right? And she's, she's there. Uh, we both just quit our jobs. I can't see how it's going to work out financially. And I'm driving down the road, acting like I got it together, right? She's over here, seven months pregnant, popping with Rebecca, right? We've never had children before. We're just like, it's about, she's about ready to pop. And then I got two wiener dogs here who get really nervous when you drive, and they're emitting gaseous fumes. I'm driving down the go. <laughs> Right? And so I get there, and I don't know if you ever went there, but that was back in the days where, uh, you know, I, I'm like, what, what, what do you expect us to eat? Beans and lick the wallpaper? How are we going to make it on this, right? So, anyway, so it was during that time, all right, during that time, all of a sudden, and no, no fault to us, we were just serving God, but just learning life. And we found ourselves in a $4,000 financial pitfall overnight. And we're like, you might as well set $4 million. I mean, we're licking the wall for sustenance, right? We ain't got no money for nothing, right? And so all of a sudden, out of the blue, a person doesn't give us $4,000. They give us $5,000. It wasn't a loan. It was a gift. In fact, they specifically said, don't ever pay me back, and they weren't even a Christian. Now, granted, that was a rough way to make a grand for those of you hooked on math. But that really happened. Let me give you one more. Another senior pastor, this time now in after California, New York. And so we drove out there with a 1996 Ford Taurus, right? Those were happening cars, weren't they? And, uh, but I was excited because I was at 197,000 miles. And so guys, what do we do? It's a guy thing. We're going to get what? 200,000 miles. I didn't make it because I pulled into the driveway at 197. And I'm like, <laughs> Transmission is gone. I mean, you could tell it's done. The car's done. Don't even, and so I'm like, oh man. And we're back there in Western New York, up by the Niagara Falls, the Canadian border. It snows two feet at a whack. Here comes a layer of ice. Here comes two more feet. Here's some more ice. Want some more ice? Sure, here's more ice. Here's like, right? And so I'm always traveling around. And so I, we got to have two vehicles, right? I can't leave my wife stranded, not in that environment. And I got to have a vehicle to traipse around the snow and all that stuff, right? And so I'm sitting, oh, man, we got one vehicle. And we go, man, God. And so I, I, I was where I had my private time was in the basement down there at our house in New York. And so I'm just praying for two days. God, you know our need. Uh, really don't want to choke down another car payment, really can't afford that, and you know our need, and I just pray. I kid you not, two weeks, I didn't tell anybody. Two weeks later, all of a sudden, I got an email from a guy, and he says, hey, do you know anybody that needs a car? <laughs> oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. Long story short, he gave us for free. 
a Mazda Tribute SUV, fully loaded, meaty man tires, leather, heated seats, four-wheel drive, for free. Now, here's what's awesome. No, that was mine, bro. Uh, she got the van. Uh, <laughs> now, here's the, here's the wild thing. It wasn't just two days after we needed that. I didn't tell a soul, just, God, you know our need. Again, what's the, what's, what did Jesus say? You just seek first my kingdom, my righteousness. I'll take care of you. Just focus on him, not your problem, not your situation. I will take care of you. You watch. And he does it every time. Have you learned that yet? So anyway, but here's the other thing. Later, the guy that gave us the car wasn't just he gave us the car and he gave it to us for free. And, and a way better car than we ever had. And especially custom tailored for that environment. But he said that God had prompted him two weeks earlier to give that car away for free, but he didn't. He was going to buy another vehicle and he was going to trade it in. But God arrested his heart and said, no, 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 you give that away for free. So he literally wrestled with God for two weeks prior, and then he finally gave in exactly when our car's transmission went out. So God didn't just perfectly time our provision for the need of a new vehicle for free. He timed that guy's disobedience because if he would have obeyed two weeks prior, he would have called me and what I would have said, no, we're fine. Do you get it? Both ends of that. And here's my point. I don't know about you, but that's a, that's a powerful witness for somebody who's having some challenges with their finances today, right? And that really happened to us. In fact, I'll give you just one more because we got 500 million of them. <laughs> this was actually, I'll be consistent. It's been every pastor, even here in Vegas when we first moved here. Uh, we, 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 it took three years to sell our house in New York. And man, it was a tight time, big time. And I remember one time, uh, we also didn't have any medical at that point or anything. And uh, so kids, you know, kids do what they do. They get sick or whatever. This was a dental bill. Now, this may not sound like much, but you might as well said $145,000. I, I got this dental bill in at, at like 143 bucks or something like that. And we got nothing. I mean, nothing. I can't charge it on the card. I can't do nothing right? I, there's, there's nothing. There's no breathing room, whatever. The very next day I get up, I go check the mail. I'm going, God, would you please provide? We, we can't even pay this bill. I go, I go check the mail. And this was like in March. And I checked the mail and it was somebody from my previous pastor in New York had sent us a Christmas card, right? But they sent it to our old address. And so it had been floating in the mail system and it arrived that day after I got that bill. Never, they've sent us Christmas cards before, but this one, they just happened, to, and they never did it before, and they've never done it since. They just happened to include a check. And you know how much that amount was for? The same thing as the dental bill. Are you kidding me? Over and over and over. You seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, he'll take care of you. You put God first. Stop looking at your circumstances. Stop thinking of what God can't do. We just sang the song. Do you really mean it when you sing it? God, we believe. God, we believe you for it. I don't know how, but you're going to do it. And you know how you learn to develop that? I mean, wouldn't that be a great way to live? Because you're going to have challenges. But isn't it awesome that no matter what your challenge is, God will turn around, not just for you, but to bless other people. And why did it happen? Because he loves you so much. He sent, just like James says, you're going to go through a trial. You're going to go through Porculos trials, many trials, but you watch. I'm going to do something fantastic with it. It's not going to bless you. It's going to bless other people. Isn't that awesome? Let me give you just one more today. Not only God will produce a powerful testimony, he'll produce a powerful character. Turn to somebody and say, man, you're a character, yeah. right? Yeah, but that's not the character I'm talking about. I'm talking about that internal ability uh, to stand up strong. Now, this is what Paul says that God will do through our trials. Paul uses the word suffering, same kind of reality, okay? But watch what Paul says. Totally agrees, obviously. The scripture is unified. Totally agrees with James and Peter's we saw before. But watch what Paul says. Therefore, Romans 5, 1 through 4, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now sin. And we now, what? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, I love that word there. Stop it. The rejoice. What's rejoice mean? It means do it again. Do what again? Joy. You're full of joy? Well, do it again. Uh, you got joy? Do it again. Paul says in Philippians, I tell you, rejoice. No, no let me tell you, rejoice. Do it again. Right, just don't stop. Do it again. I remember back in New York when the 
Kids were much smaller. Right now, they probably break my legs. But remember when your kids are younger, right? And and then you got to, you got to, it's apparently a rite of passage for a parent. At some point, at least for the dads, you got to lay on your back and you got to put your feet up so the kids can get on your feet and you do the airplane thing. Remember that one? I remember kids love and do that. And, and, and this is what they'd always say, do it again, do it again, do it again, right? I, if I do it one more time, my legs are going to fall off, right? But no, do it again, do it again, do it again. And of course, it was always a little hazardous. I don't know if you guys ever experienced this, but with your kids, when they're doing that thing, they're going, do it again, and then here starts coming the dribble, <laughs> right? And so they think, wow, he's really getting into it this time. I'm trying to avoid the dribble on my face. <laughs> But anyway, I'll never get, do it again, do it. And they wouldn't stop, do it again, do it again. And that's what Paul is, er, er, is saying here. He says, listen, we've got this peace with God through Jesus Christ, right? We've gained access into it by faith, by his grace. It's a, it's a free work of God. And so we do it again, we rejoice, right? Are you happy you're saved? Are you happy it's by God's grace uh, through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast? Are you happy that you're not going to hell? Are you happy that he's given that to you? Do it again, do it again, rejoice. And I said all that to give this. And not only do that, do it again, do it again, and be joyful. Do it again with your what? Sufferings. Now, wait a second. I like that first part, the salvation. I'll do it again. I'll do it again. Yeah, he saved me. I'm not going to do it again. But do it again with this? Yes. And this is what James is saying. This is what Peter's saying. This is what Paul's reiterating. It's the same thing. Why? Why can I do it again? Do it again. Joy, joy. In sufferings, because we know, there's that word again. We know. Here's the word. Suffering or trials James uses produces what? perseverance, and he builds on it. James says, it will make you complete, mature, not lacking anything. Paul says, here's why. Because perseverance, bearing up under pressure over time, it starts to give you what? Character, and when you have character, a strong character, by persevering over time, it gives you what? Hope. Have you learned this one yet? There are no hopeless situations. There's only Christians who've given up hope in God. Right? And this is what Paul says. You can rejoice. Do it again. Be happy. Not just in that you're saved and praise God we're not going to hell. Hello, that should make you rejoice. But even in your sufferings. Why? Because you're going to come out on top if you just do what God says to do. Rejoice. Do it again. Do it again. Why? Because he says when you go through that, as James says, you're going to persevere. And when you persevere, it starts to shape your character. Your character gives you that strong ability to keep moving forward for Christ. And so you have this deep-seated knowledge. I don't care what this world throws at me. I don't care what people throw at me. Even like with Joseph's account, even if they meant to harm me, I've been through so much. It's built my character. It's given me a hope that nothing can get me off my walk with Jesus Christ. Nobody, no trial, no circumstance, nothing will keep me from serving Jesus with what little time I have left. And one day I win. He takes me home in a place beyond my wild streams. Wouldn't you like to have that? That's why Paul says, do it again, rejoice. Not just in your being saved, but even because you know he's building your character. And when you have a strong character, you can make it through anything. Now, again, since we have a hard time believing that, because we live in a society that says what? Oh, no, avoid pain at all costs. There's no value in pain. You have the even slightest bit of a headache, you got to drown that baby out with an aspirin or something like that. There's no value in pain. In fact, the goal of people's life today is what? Pamper yourself with as much cushion as possible. Even Christians today, their their big goal in life is to, okay, I got saved. I'm not going to hell. That's great. So I'm just going to tiptoe through life with as much cushion as possible and arrive at death safely. That's not reality. Heaven comes later. This is not heaven. We live in a sinful, fallen, wicked world, so you're going to have challenges, trials, suffering coming your way. But here's the good news. Take heart. God will use those to give you a character that no matter what this world throws, you're going to make it out on top. But our world says the opposite. In fact, our world has this mentality like, you owe me, right? You need to give me. It should come easy. I shouldn't have to work hard. I shouldn't have, are you, what? We had a phrase in my family growing up uh, when my family, uh, typically my nephews or niece, they kind of get a little bit of, you know, you guys think, you know, this entitlement mentality, right? The phrase we would have is, you need to go spend a summer working at the brick plant, right? And, and, and if you guys ever worked at a brick plant, which I did when I was 12 years old, that's hard work. You talk about slave labor. But I tell you what, you learn to work hard. And I'll never forget the first time I came to California from Kansas living under some circumstances. I'll share with you in a second. I'm looking at my cousins who are whining, complaining. And I'm going, you guys need to go to a brick plant. You guys don't know how easy you got it. 
But see, it's infected our culture, this pamper mentality. You don't need to work. You owe me. The government owes me. The entitlement mentality. And listen, it's making people of a weak character. And if you have a weak character, then when, not if, when trials come, you can't make it. And you're crushed because you have no character. Because you think it's always going to come easy. No, it's not going to come easy. You're going to have trials, but take heart. God's going to do something good. He's going to build in you a character so that you will persevere and make it through anything. Let me give you a couple examples. My family, uh, again, uh, this time my grandmothers, they were women of character because obviously they had a pampered life growing up in the Depression and the Dust Bowl. They had a painful life. I only got a cu- time for a couple stories and I've got to move on. Uh, one grandmother, my mom's mom, she lived 10 miles outside of the nearest town, if you want to call it a town in Kansas. Hello. Okay. And she gave birth all by herself because she's all alone. That's just when the baby decided to come, right, to my aunt, my mom's sister, all by herself. No doctor, no, that, welcome to, you wake up and that's your day, right? And then she said, but she was looking at the time and she goes, oh, the men are getting ready to come in from the field. So she's got to get supper on the table, right? So she said she cut the cord, cleaned herself up, got the baby swallowed up and she starts cooking, getting food in time for the men when they got back. Oh, here's dessert, baby, right? <laughs> she, she lived like that. Didn't whine, didn't complain. That's just welcome to life, right? Another time, uh, the same grandmother, I'm not joking, uh, her family going through the Depression, Dust Bowl, you know, of course, they lose everything, right, back there in the Midwest. And she said, I'll never forget, she said, uh, my, you know, her family, they lived in a cook shack. And a cook shack, well, let's take another historical thing, not only like rolling the window down, What's a cook shack? Cook shack, if you ever watch those old westerns, that was basically the chuck wagon. That was just that wagon that the cook followed the cattle rancher guys herding the cattle around. And he, he just was a little wagon and he'd have the sides come down. They'd nail the plates there and serve the grub, right? The, the chuck wagon, cook shack, that was their house. Family with kids, that was their house. I am not joking. I asked my grandma, I'm going, are you serious? They live in that? She goes, oh yeah. Had to have a place to sleep. I said, Grandma, how long did they live in the cook shack? I'm not joking. She didn't even bat an eye. She said, oh, uh, until the tornado blew it away. (laughs) Are you serious? Same grandmother, same grandmother in her life, her house burnt down, left nothing but the shirt on their back twice in one life. I can go on and on. And that grandmother, I tell you what, you thought you had a bad day? You guys ever have a grandma like that? You're, go, you're looking for solace from somebody. So you go to grandma. That's an easy one, right? <laughs> no, it ain't. Because you get there, three words into your sorry, sad sack story. Grandma had a, oh, yeah. <laughs> and she starts singing these stories on you. And you're going, like, man, I got it easy. <laughs> right? But she had a great sense of humor all the way through. It's like, how, and before she even got saved. How do you make it through that? How do you make it through that with a good sense of What? Most people today would be crushed. My other grandmother, real quick, my dad's side, Kansas. Apparently avoid Kansas. <laughs> Kansas. My dad said, uh, he, he said, uh, this was their daily routine. He was about five at the time. He said, uh, across the road, the gravel road, is where they had the cows in the barn, right, for milking, milking cows. And uh, so, so in the morning, when you go milk the cows, he said, grandma would grab his hand, walk him across the road. And as they're walking through the field there to the, cattle barn there, the cows, to milk the cows, she would grab, look, be looking around for some rocks, you know, a good-sized rock, about the size of your fist, a little bit smaller, but something, you know, good, good-sized rock. And I go, what's she doing picking up rocks? And he says, well, he said, because uh, she, was, she was pretty good at it, he said that she would milk the cow with one hand, be looking around, and as soon as she saw a rabbit, she'd go, boom, beat it in the head, knock it out, and that's what they'd eat for that night. And dad said, she had a pretty good arm, too. So that's just what she did, man. And you just, I go on and on, man. But not only my grandmother's, I also admire my dad. And the reason why is because obviously he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Are you kidding me? My dad was born with a shovel in his hand. At the age of seven, you know, most kids today are already on a cell phone, video games, pampered life. My dad was born with a shovel in his hand. Age of seven, he went to work, not just any work, mind you. It was heavy construction, pouring concrete, seven years old. My grandfather said that he had my dad work after school every weekend, every summer. Holidays was just another work day. And believe you me, my brother and I and siblings grew up with that environment. Uh, You want to eat, you're going to work. 
Back then, honestly, I didn't appreciate it, but I'm glad now because you know what it did? It built a work ethic into all of us. It shaped our character. But my dad, even later, he decided to go into farming because we all know that's an easy life. So he, he had some property with my grandfather, his dad, and they go farming. And I asked him, I says, well, dad, how do we end up from Kansas to California for a few years and then coming back to Kansas? Why did we go back to California for a while? He said, we got tired of starving to death. I go, what do you mean starving to death? He proceeded to tell me, right? He said that we had two bad winters back to back. He said, uh, and back then with farming, he says, everything was on credit. He went to the general store or the feed store or whatever. Everything's in credit. And then you would pay them when the crops came in. He said, we had two bad winters back to back. So nobody was going to give him any credit, nothing. He said, the problem was we're in the middle of winter and we got no money for food. So he's got, he's, he's got to keep food on the table. So he shot rabbits to keep food on the table for us as a family. And, and then he would go in the fields and get Milo. If you're not familiar with Milo, Milo's basically cattle feed, but it was, it's a grain type thing. And he says, still to this day, I can't stand the stench of it. My mom, he said, would try to cook it, boil it, to just have something to go with the meat. I go, man, that's pretty bad. He said, oh, I'm not done yet. He said, then I ran out of bullets. And nobody's going to give you any credit. So he built box traps to trap the rabbits to survive that winter. That really happened. And again, I'll say it again. I don't think the average person today could survive not even a week in those conditions. And this is what's happening, folks. It's killing our character. Our world today says that you need to live a pampered life. You don't have to work hard. You shouldn't have to go through any trials. Everything should come easy, and it's destroying the character of our nation. A bunch of weaklings. Because you never learn like the rest of us. You need to work hard, and dare I say, spiritually, no diddle-dallying with Jesus. When you serve Jesus, there's nothing more serious than that, right? I, I don't know about you, but when I got saved, it was very easy. I lived 100% for myself before I got saved, and frankly, Satan. And so you get saved, and you're thankful for not going to hell, and then he gives you everything else on top. Wouldn't you want to serve him with the same fervor? But we live in a world today that sees no value in that pampering, and it's killing our character, and then you never have to persevere, so your character never develops, and then you never have hope, and you wonder why everybody's so hopeless. Because you got no backbone. you got no character. In fact, one guy apparently had it easy. See if you can guess who this is. When he was seven years old, his family was forced out of their home on a legal technicality, true story, and he had to go work to help support them. At age of nine, his mother died. At 22, he lost his job as a store clerk. He wanted to go to law school, but his education wasn't good enough. At 23, he went into debt to become a partner in a small store. But at 26, three years later, his business partner died, leaving him a huge debt that took years to repay. At 28, after courting a girl for four years, he asked her to marry him. What'd she say? No. At 37, on his third try, he was elected to the Congress, but two years later failed to be reelected. At 41, his four-year-old son died. At 45, he ran for the Senate and lost. At 47, he failed as the vice presidential candidate. At 49, he ran for the Senate again and lost again. And at 51, he was elected president of the United States. Abraham Lincoln. Some would consider as one of the greatest presidents we ever had. Because obviously, some people get all the breaks. You just don't quit. When you never learn to persevere, it doesn't build your character. And if you don't ever build your character, you're never going to have the hope you need to make it through this world full of suffering. You see the wisdom of God. I don't know about you, but all that stuff that I went through, when I got saved, through the poor circumstance, I could give you all kinds of stories. I just did my grandmothers and dad. We kept going through it when I was growing up. But my number one thing, I remember even after, after high school, I wrote it on a piece of paper. My number one goal in life is... I will never be poor again. I hated being poor. I hated the shame of that. And, 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 and I worked towards that. But I look back now, and even things I went through, I wasn't even saved yet. I praise God for it. Because God used all those to shape my character. And now he's translated that into service of Christ. 
It's like, bring it on, man. Go live in Kansas. You think you got it bad? Work at a brick plant. You think you got it bad? Survive the winter with eating rabbit and Milo. You think you got it bad? I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But I look back and go, thank you, God. And all of us, my family, there's one thing that we will not do. We will not quit. And it's transferred now in our service, all of us now saved, in our service to Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? But if you live this lie that, oh, it's going to come easy. It should come easy. You owe me this entitlement. You're actually killing your character, and you're never going to get the thing you need to make it this side of heaven. Like these people. Watch Watch what they did when hard times came their way. This is a Christian couple. Let's take a look at this. Dear Elliot, right now you are two months from being born. We just found out that you have trisomy 18, also called Edwards Syndrome. Doctors tell us that you won't likely make it to birth. Your mom and I are praying against that. We're praying for healing. We are praying for nothing less than a miracle. You're our first child, and the day of your birth couldn't come sooner. Dear Elliot, You were born today weighing in at six pounds. You are already a miracle to us. Your mom is doing well, and it looks like we'll be hanging out here at the hospital a little longer. Dear Elliot, today you turned 11 days old. We are so proud of you. Today we celebrated your 11th birthday. In fact, we do that every day at 4.59, the time you were born. Dear Elliot, we've been home for a week now, so that's why you don't see your nurses anymore. It's great to have you home. Today I think we'll pack up everything and take our first venture out for coffee. Dear Elliot, I don't know if you've noticed, but you're connected to some tubes. The doctors say we have to keep these in so you can get oxygen to breathe. You're also fed through a feeding tube. We feed you every three hours and it takes an hour and a half to do it. We've loved learning how to best take care of you. We love it. Lots of people email, call, and send cards on your behalf. You're well-loved. It's 11 at night right now, and my feeding shift has just begun. Mom is asleep, and the best part of my day has begun. My shift ends around 4.45 a.m. when your mom takes over. She cherishes her mornings with her boy. Today you turn one month old. I didn't know if I'd ever get to say that. To top off the day, 20 friends showed up at the door for a true surprise birthday party for you. They sang, brought balloons and a birthday cake. It was beautiful chaos. At 2 a.m. this morning, your feeding tube came out. We had been warned this may happen eventually. We quickly realized we did not have a stethoscope, which was necessary to replace the tube. Since our neighbor was a nurse, I went ahead and knocked on their door at 2.30 a.m. They found their stethoscope, and your mom went to it. After much wrestling, praying, and your tears, the tube was down, and you were able to feed. Just so you know, Your mom is my hero. Dear Elliot, you now weigh 7 pounds 3 ounces. You're growing and your food has been bumped up because of your good appetite. You continue to find new ways to steal our hearts. Dear Elliot, today marks two months of your life. Your mom and I are so thankful we know you. We know your face, your noises. We know that bath time and massage are your favorite daily activity. You finally learned how to suck your thumb by yourself. Because of trisomy 18, you were born with clenched fist, and being able to do this is actually quite difficult. Way to go, son. Dear Elliot, we celebrate your birthday every day with a picture. Lately, we've tried to get a bit more creative. Dear Elliot, I realize you can get frustrated with your tubes and your frequent congestion. Please know that your mom and I are doing everything we can to make you comfortable. Dear Elliot, well, you tipped the scales today at 8 pounds, 14 ounces. Quite an accomplishment. You also have managed to grow a pretty decent mullet. Dear Elliot, we all got to go to a reunion at the hospital. I've never seen your mom more happy. The joy she felt getting to show off her son can't be described with words. In fact, she compared it to the way a mother would feel when her son becomes president or wins a Heisman or develops a cure for cancer. The logic of medicine says you shouldn't be alive, but you are. You are such a fighter. Dear Elliot, you have now passed the three-month mark. 
you also got your first cordless pictures taken today. No feeding tube, oxygen, or stickers. This was no small accomplishment, but we got it done. Have I told you lately that we are so proud of you? Dear Elliot, today you went to be with Jesus. An underdeveloped lung, a heart with a hole in it, and DNA that placed faulty information into each and every cell of your body could not stop God from revealing himself through a child who never uttered a word. Not a pulpit, not a slick presentation, not a best-selling book, but a six-pound boy with trisomy 18. God found great pleasure to take a lowly thing in the eyes of the world and show truth. At your funeral, we released 99 balloons each balloon representing a day of your life. How beautiful it was to watch. How quickly they were gone. And so today, we celebrate. Elliot, you are well. And although we miss you more than we can express, we're only separated from you by our time left on earth. See you soon, son. Mom and Dad. How do you do that? How do you look at death of a child with such strength and conviction and even hope? Those are real Christians, just like you and I. And it wasn't just that they dealt with it with such strength and conviction and hope. What did you just watch? They actually took the time on purpose and made a video testimony unto the glory of God to encourage other people. How do you do that? Because I think they understand the goodness and the wisdom of God that we need to be reminded today. That James is telling us, that Peter is telling us, that Paul's telling us. That God will use all of our pain, all of our trials, all of our tears. He'll produce a powerful testimony and sometimes simultaneously a powerful character so that you and I will have the strength and the conviction to make it through any trial this side of heaven because it's going to happen. This is not heaven. Heaven comes later. And the Bible says as Christians, even at the moment of death, we grieve, but we do not grieve as those who have hope. We have the hope that one day we're going to see our loved ones again in Christ in a place beyond our wildest dreams where there's never going to be any more caskets or funerals or having to say goodbye to your loved one. No more death, mourning, crying, or pain. And so you can look forward and say, see you soon. See you soon. And not just for you, but can I tell you something? When you're really at that place spiritually, aligning with God's word. This is not pie in the sky. This is from God. And it isn't just for you. The lost people around you see that and they're going, can I have that? Yeah, you can. Let me tell you about Jesus. That's just some of the good that God will do. Why, why Peter, Paul says, rejoice. Do it again. James says, pure joy. When you go through trials. Because there's many trials, there's going to be many blessings. You know this, you look forward to it. You may not see it now, but you know it's coming. You will always come out on top if you just seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Let him deal with it. Amen? Poikilos means poikilos. He loves it now. That's right. The twelfth good reason is to get you steered into a new direction. You ever go through a hard time? You're like, what in the world is this all about? The next thing you know, I'm going, God, thank you for that hard time because because of that, now I'm here and it's way better than I was right there. Well, we're out of time. We'll have to get to that. Lord willing, next time. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity.
This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandment says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's His standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior, if we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed. The judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty. Uh, you even admit you're guilty. And uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done. You can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. 
Again, that's what he was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.